I just want to begin today with reading the reading of God's word in Philippians 4, 4 through 13. And I don't usually do this, but I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. And it's always be full of the joy of the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Amen. Today, I want to talk to you about contentment. That's what God put on my heart. And the reason that it was so heavy on my heart is because I'm no expert at contentment. I'm actually more of an expert at discontentment. And it's especially been tough for me over the past few years for various reasons. So I began to really seek the Lord and said, Lord, I desire a walk with you that's deeper, one of more peace and more contentment. Please show me in your word. And a lot of this is what he showed me. And truly, truly, I have to say, it brought me to my knees. Because how we let the enemy come in and bring such discontentment in our lives. So before we even get into contentment, I think it's important that we define what is, it means to be discontent. The definition actually is dissatisfaction at any present state of things. Displeased, disgruntled. A restless desire or craving for something one does not have. And you know that saying, we hear it all the time, if we had this or if we had that, then we would be content. Well, it doesn't work, because then we just want more. And you know, ladies, it doesn't have to even be about money. It can be over many things. I think the media and advertising just bombards us with buying the latest and the greatest. Makes us feel what we have and what we even look like. Our family, 
our job, our home, our spouse is inadequate. And the enemy takes advantage of all of that. And let's face it, we can always find something to be discontent about. Am I right? I'm not the only one? Oh, good. <laughs> Human nature never seems to be satisfied, always wanting more. Someone said, and I think you'll really appreciate this, as a rule, man's a fool. When it's hot, he wants it cool. And when it's cool, he wants it hot, always wanting what is not. Now, how many times have you heard that? In the summer, everybody is complaining about the heat, and then in the winter, everybody's complaining about how cold they are. Human nature. Discontent, and this really got me because discontent is really a manifestation of pride, rebellion, and unbelief. These are the original sins of the devil and his angels. Because, in essence, it is telling God we deserve better than we received. Wow. When I read that, I was so grieved that I would tell the Lord I deserve better than I have received. Because I know what I deserve. I deserve hell. But God didn't give me what I deserve. He gave a son for me. For all of us, what more could we want? You know, pride was Satan's downfall. He's the ultimate example of discontentment. In Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, you can read later, where we read about Satan, he was in the presence of God. He was in heaven. I mean, we're talking perfection. And some of us are waiting for perfection in our, our lives, you know, to be content. He had pure perfection in the presence of Almighty God. But you know what? It wasn't enough. He wanted better than what God had given him. He was God's most beautiful angel. Scripture actually says that he was the anointed guardian cherub on the holy mountain of God, he was adorned with every precious jewel you could even imagine. He was the model of perfection, full of wisdom and beauty. But Satan did not like being second best. Needless to say, he was not content. He wanted to be God. And unfortunately, a third of the angels apparently thought they deserved better too. They were not content to serve God. And we all know too well what the consequences of that was. It changed everything. Discontent is rebellion against God. And I know I've said this a few times to God, and maybe you have too, but Romans 9.20 says, But who are you, human being, to talk back to God? So what is formed? Say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? Well, in essence, Satan was doing the same thing. Discontent is a fruit of unbelief. In Exodus 17, God's people had been greatly blessed. Here God had brought them out of slavery with many miracles that they saw. He provided them with manna, 
And then they came to a place where there was no water. And I can understand their legitimate concern, no water. How would God supply? But unfortunately, it went from bad to worse, and it turned to unbelief. They ridiculed Moses. They got very upset. They complained. And they said, is the Lord among us or not? They lost their confidence in God. And I think sometimes we can do that too when we're in a hard place. They even went so far at one point to call Egypt the land flowing with milk and honey. How soon they forgot the bricks without straw, the beatings, the slavery, the misery. Discontent is a horrible place to be. And the one thing that I've really seen in my own life is that it is such a waste of time. And you know, I'm going to be 68. If the God grants me, we'll say 10 years, you know. If he grants me 10 years, do I really want to waste it on being discontent? No, I don't. And yet the enemy keeps trying. But it's not my desire. And I go to my Heavenly Father and ask him to deliver me. Because before you know it, you find yourself murmuring and complaining. And that grieves our Father. And it should grieve us. I read in Jude, Jude 15 and 16, it says the Lord will come to execute judgment on the ungodly. And then he goes so far as to explain who those ungodly are. And you would expect that it would be murderers, adulterers, thieves. But listen to what it says. These are murmurers, complainers. That's it. I'm like, wow, that's a description of the ungodly? I certainly do not want that to be the description of me or of any Christian. That totally blew me away. The Greek word translated complainer means literally one who is discontented with his lot in life. You know, a lot of people say, oh, God dealt me a bad set of cards. I don't like my life. I'm unhappy. You know, murmuring and complaining is found 51 times in the Bible. And it, I'd be here all day if I went through every scripture that talks about it. Complaining is detrimental to the peace, the joy, and the patience that comes from the Spirit. And you know, it accomplishes nothing. It just hurts you. It hurts me. It hurts our Father. Research actually shows, you're going to love this one, people complain once a minute during a typical conversation. Yeah. That made me think long and hard. And it made me pray even harder. Oh, Lord, I said, is that me? Probably. We must remember that Paul writes this from a prison cell in Philippians. 
And believe me, their prison cells were not like ours. They were basically holes in the ground, filthy, rats, disease, not a pretty place. I think we, though, have all felt at one time or another that we have been in a prison of sorts. Maybe you feel that way today even. But think about it. Really, what does Paul have to be content about? Look at his situation. He didn't know if he was going to be beheaded tomorrow or die tonight. He had no idea. The NIV and the NLT translation says that he learned the secret, secret to being content. And I'm sure he learned by going through many a tough times and having to endure. But you know, Paul had to make a choice. Be content or be discontent and miserable. A choice we have to make every day. What is awesome here is that it's no secret to us now on how to seek more contentment in our lives because Paul has given us precious wisdom in all the verses prior. He learned so now that we can learn how to be content. Number one, he tells the discouraged Philippians in verse four to rejoice in the Lord. Again, rejoice. At all times and in all conditions, rejoice. Delight thyself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Look at all he's done. And we're not looking about all the things he's necessarily done for us today, yesterday. Look what he's done. He's worthy of our praise. He died for us. We are not going to hell because of him. We have much to rejoice about. Number two, he tells us to pray. He tells us to be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And I know sometimes I don't always go to God in prayer like that. I'm, I'm whining and complaining. <laughs> it's not always with the thanksgiving in my heart. But contentment and thanksgiving, the two go hand in hand. You know that saying, count your blessings? True. It's a big part of it. I don't know about you, but people that I have met that are truly content are also people that are the most thankful. Contentment is a very attractive quality. It affects everything in our lives, and it affects everyone around us. We have to remember that people are watching us. The Lord is coming soon. He's coming back soon. We want our lives to bring him glory. I tell him every day, Lord, I just want my life to bring you glory. Please do what you have to do. <laughs> I had to ask myself these difficult questions in studying this and listening to that music. Does Jesus truly make me happy? Do I find my joy in Jesus? 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 25, Take no thought for your life. 
He knows our needs even before we ask him. Prayer shows our dependence on God. He already knows. We need him. We need him desperately. I thought of the time when I was giving birth to my son. You know how you learn the Lamaze classes, the breathing exercises? I was so tired of those breathing exercises, I said, that's it, I'm not doing this anymore. I, I just can't do it, so I stopped. Well, the pain was 10 times worse. <laughs> so immediately I started doing the breathing exercises again. I thought I didn't need them, but I needed them way more than I thought. And it's the same thing with God. We need him way more than we think. We cannot do life without him. And, you know, sometimes we try to do it in our own strength. And it's uh, kind of disastrous. I've done it, and I failed. Paul says if we do these things, God will keep or guard our minds and our hearts. The Greek word guard actually means to hold prisoner. So Paul is saying when you pause to praise God for what he has done in your life, and then you present all your worries to him with thanksgiving in your heart, believing in his providence and his provision, God will give you peace. The peace that passes understanding. In other words, God is in control of the good and the bad, and you can have that peace regardless. Is it easy? No. But I think of Job here. He had a wonderful life. And one day, gone. Everything. Everything was taken from him. But despite everything, he could say, The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all I can say is, Wow. Because a discontented person might say something like this. The Lord gave, but he should have given me more. Or the Lord has taken away, and he should not have done that. But God knows what we need. An additional meaning of the Greek word guard is to keep silent. This one I loved. Because you know how your mind races and your emotions are all over the board? Um, that happens to me a lot. And I definitely need God to guard my mind and my emotions from discontent. And we want him to do that so we are not derailed by it. Matthew Henry put it this way. I know Mary Ann loves Matthew Henry. It will keep us from sinning under our troubles and sinking under them. It'll keep us calm and sedate without discomposure of passion and with inward satisfaction. And then Paul goes so far as to give us a list of things to think about, to filter our thoughts. Thoughts of whatsoever things are true and honest and just and pure and lovely and things of good report. Think on these things if our thoughts do escape to discontentment. We can go back there and change our thinking. What we choose to think about is crucial to being content. It's crucial to every day. We do have a choice about what we think about. 
And in verses 10 through 13, Paul has a grateful spirit. He is such a thankful person. He depended on God to provide for him day to day. In all his hardships and sufferings, he learned to be content. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's how we become content. We cannot do it in our own strength. We need strength from Christ to teach us to be content in every condition. We cannot do it in our own strength. In Ephesians 6.10, it says, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. 2 Timothy 2.1, To be strong in the grace which is in Christ Jesus. And Ephesians 3.16 is one of my favorites. We are strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Our inner man needs strengthening from God. Matthew Henry put it this way. The language here denotes a present and continued act, as if he had said, through Christ who is strengthening me and does continually strengthen me. It is by his constant and renewed strength I am enabled to act in everything. I wholly depend on him for all my spiritual power. I think that's in a nutshell. That's it. And you know, ladies, I thank God his mercies are new every morning. Because we're human. We're going to mess up. I thank God we can come boldly to his throne of grace in time of need. The holy of holies because of Jesus. We do not have to stay in a place of discontent because God wants better for us. And I think that we can start by just being honest with God regarding the places of discontent in our lives. We can pour our hearts out before God, expressing our need for forgiveness. Someone described discontent as a hellish sin. And it is. Not only does he forgive, but he forgets. What a good God we have. Pour out our anxiety and worry before him. He wants us to come to him. He wants to hear all of your complaints and issues. He does. And you know, he's big enough to handle our humanness. I think we make him too small sometimes. You know, we put him in a box. But you know what scripture says? The earth is his footstool. And his hand spans the universe. How big is our God? He's huge. You know, you know that guy on the commercial? I can't say it like him, but he's huge. I read a phrase once that I never forgot, and I couldn't even tell you what book it was in, but it stuck with me all these years. God is not at war with our humanity. He's not. He knows our frame is but dust. He pities us as a father pities his children. He knows we struggle. And he loves us so much. Hebrews 13.5 says, Let your behavior be without covetousness, meaning caring about worldly things so much that it brings us to a place of discontent. And be content with such things as you have. 
For he hath said, I will never leave thee or forsake thee. We are not alone, and that's a promise. No matter what our situation, no matter how much we've complained, no matter how discontent we are, we're not alone. He's right there with us. David could say in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Can we say that today? I have to say that to myself some days. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I don't care if I have to say it a hundred times. I will. Because you know, ladies, it's who we know, right? Not what we have. It's who we know. It's all about who we know. And we are so blessed that God revealed himself to us through his son. Paul says in Philippians 9, those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. I remember one time I was complaining to this very beautiful godly woman. I'd say it was probably about 30 years ago or something. And she said, stop it. Because I was like, what do you do? You know, she said, stop it. She says, just do it. Do what God wants you to do. And I read a book, um, The Christian Secret of a Happy Life, Hannah Whittle Smith. You may have heard of her. And she went to um, this lady for counsel. And she kept, you know, pouring out her woes and her difficulties and her her discontent and her issues. And the lady listened to every word she said. And at the end, she said, Hannah, but there's God. And Hannah got mad. And she said, I'm not going back there again. But she did go back again. And the lady said the same thing. And she said it was as if the scales fell off her eyes and all of her problems just went right with it. And if you ever get a chance to read that book, do, because it's amazing. In 1 Timothy 6, 6, it says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. We're all godly because we're the children of God. But with contentment is great gain. Contentment is the state of being contented, satisfied. The degree of happiness which consists in being satisfied with present conditions, a quiet, uncomplaining, satisfied mind. I love that. What a beautiful thing to have. A quiet, uncomplaining, satisfied mind. Because you know the battle's all here. And it's not because we've necessarily conquered our circumstances, but because we've learned to live with them knowing that our Father is in control of every aspect of our lives. And my mom used to tell me all that, that all the time. She used to say, acceptance brings you to contentment. I didn't necessarily like that when she said it, <laughs> but it's true. And I want to tell you a little story here. There was a man that, 
and he had the most beautiful yard, but he had dandelions everywhere. And it was getting to him and making him miserable. And he tried everything to get rid of these dandelions. So he finally wrote a letter to like the, one of those cooperative extension places, and he didn't hear back for weeks. Finally, he gets a letter, he opens it up, all excited about what they're going to tell him what to do, and all it said was, learn to love them. <laughs> a lot of truth in that. Those who possess godly contentment gain not only this world, but the world to come. We are blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. We are joint heirs with Christ. We are loved with an infinite love, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, which has washed away all of our sins and called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We have been saved from hell. Hallelujah. We have so much to look forward to. He's so good. We are told, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof. But he that doth the will of the, God, the Father abides forever. You know, it's so easy for us to lack contentment in our lives when we are confused about what truly matters. I pray for all of us that Jesus would be our first love. Ladies, is God all wise? Then surely he knows what is best for us, right? The problem is this. His blessings often come in packages we don't like. What we think is bad could be the best thing. And what we think is good could be the worst thing for us. So we should let God decide. Is he as good as he is wise? Amen? Always. God is good always. And then surely he will give what is best for us. I remember a guy named Bud that used to come to church here. Some of you might remember him. He was just a very sweet, very unassuming man. And, you know, normally you come into church and you say, oh, hi, how are you? And everybody goes, fine, I'm good, thanks. But you talk to Bud, you went up to Bud, and you say, how are you, Bud? Better than I deserve. Every time. I, lo I always love that answer. I'll never forget that. Do we trust God? Is Jesus enough? Like that song? I'd say he's more than enough. And I'm going to end with this statement as a prayer. Charles Swindoll actually made this statement, and I thought it was perfect, a perfect ending. So if you would close your eyes, very short, Father God, your will, your way, in your time, and help me, help me, God, to be content.
Amen. Amen. Thank you, ladies.